Well, equities were hit hard on Friday after the Reddit Warriors made their mark. Will the turmoil blow over? And what about their target for those short-selling silver? Generally, good news data-wise from the US on Friday, but of course markets are most concerned about vaccines and getting back to normal. And with Europe with so much catching up to do, will all the palaver from last week uh, demonstrate the start of vaccine nationalism? And what about the RBA tomorrow? What angle will they take with Scott Morrison keen to cut back on fiscal stimulus during his press club address at lunchtime today? It's Monday, the 1st of February 2021. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, big falls on Wall Street on Friday, 2% down for the Dow and the Nasdaq, almost as much uh, for the S&P 500. The same in Europe, more than 2% for the Eurostoxx 50, 1.8% for the FTSE 100. Bond yields a couple of, uh, uh, up a couple of basis points for 10-year treasuries and for German bunds. Same in France. UK 10-year gilts up four basis points. The US dollar finished Friday up a little, but, you know, less than 0.4% up over the whole week, whilst the pound and the Aussie uh, were both down on Friday. One of the biggest winners was the Canadian dollar, the US dollar down 0.4% against the loonie. Uh, oil down a little too, but silver up 3.8%, the latest target from the Redditors. Uh, will it go higher today? Well, let's start on that with with Tapper Strickland. It's certainly the story of the moment, isn't it? Director Economics for Markets at NAB in Sydney. So we've got a big rise in silver, but uh, silver is fairly volatile anyway. I mean, it, it, it hasn't risen as much as it fell away in early January, for example. But what's your take on the, on the influence of the Reddit day traders? And what, you know, what effect is it going to have on, on the markets from now on after having seen that big fall in equities on Friday? Good morning, Phil. Yes, that Reddit forum has taken uh, markets' attention and all focus is really on that at the moment. The important thing here is that the SEC, the Securities Exchange Commission in the US, doesn't appear to be stepping in the way of the wave of this retail money. And if anything, appears to be willing to look into the trading freezes by the brokerages that we were highlighting earlier last week uh, to ensure that those decisions do not disadvantage investors. So in terms of whether they're going to be a permanent force out there in the market, at least in the near term, uh, it's likely those forces will persist. And that was part of the reason why equities fell on Friday. So the S&P 500 fell by 1.9%. And if those forces uh, do continue, then there's uh, some nerves uh, that um, this could lead to uh, more notions that the equity market is on the toppy side in terms of valuations and with more questions being asked in terms of the valuation of the broader equity market. And then also if more of those stocks that are more heavily shorted, um, that could see more more hedge funds coming into a little bit of trouble and could lead to a bit more for selling of other stocks to cover those losses of those hedge funds. And uh, Reuters reported on Sunday that one hedge fund um, at the center of the whole GameStop drama uh, had lost 53% in January. Um, so that just gives you some idea of some of the funds that have been short some of these stocks, the kind of pain that they're actually uh, sitting on. And just for example, uh, they did have assets under management of $12.5 billion at the beginning of the year, and that has fallen to $8 billion, uh, at the end of January. So they have... Um, they have sustained quite substantial losses there. Uh, in terms of the impact on the commodity markets, it's a little bit un- unclear here. Um, com- commodity markets on the whole uh, are fairly large markets, and there tends to be a fairly large physical stockpile of these commodities. So uh, it's unclear whether silver uh, will uh, see the same type of gains that you did see in Game GameStop, uh, but I don't think we would. Uh, but it is interesting that it is going into uh, the Commodity, uh, commodity sphere and very reminiscent of um, 
a trade that was around back in uh, 2014 and 2015. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? That had such a marked effect. And I guess, you know, uh, sort of fundamentals were ignored on Friday. Does that mean that we're, we're back to business as usual today? Because if you look at Friday, uh, look at the news coming out of the United States, for example, it was all fairly good, wasn't it? I mean, the Chicago PMI for January up to 63.8. We had pending home sales for December uh, up 21.4% uh, year on year. Core PCE was higher than expected as well. It doesn't sound like a day that would normally deliver a 2% fall in the stock market, does it? It, it doesn't and kind of gives you some kind of inkling for the conversations that are going around in equity markets at the moment, especially around uh, valuations and how concerned some people are there. In terms of US data, yes, much stronger than expected. And the one that did catch my eye, as you noted, there was a core PC deflator, which came in at 0.3% month to month against 0.1% expected. And there has been some debate in markets about whether inflation is is uh, going to pick up in the medium term, just given the amount of policy stimulus out there. One bit of caution, though, uh, to throw into the wind is that uh, it looks like the U.S. stimulus plan uh, could be scaled down or may take even longer to be implemented. Uh, so uh, the background there is that the Democrats only have a very slim majority in the Senate in order to pass any legislation. And a few centrist Democrats want a bipartisan approach to the stimulus plan. So they really want to pass it through the Senate rather than going through budget reconciliation. So 600 and, billion uh, is the next Yeah, 10 have said 600 billion, haven't they? Which is quite a way back. It still means $1,000 checks going into people's bank accounts rather than 1400 But it's still quite a way back from where they were, you know, getting closer to two, two trillion. Exactly. And so that may see um, the kind of expected uh, sharp bounds that people had been thinking in uh, Q1 that could be sustained uh, into Q2 might have to be pared back a little bit as well. So uh, positive vaccine news, wasn't there, though? And we'll take as much of that as we can, because obviously that is the underlying force, isn't it? Uh, You know, day to day, we might look at uh, uh, numbers that might give us an indication of where economies are going. But, you know, the real story is how quickly are vaccines getting getting rolled out and how much of it is is the Ovid out there? And we've got Novavax and Johnson & Johnson with new solutions. The Johnson & Johnson jab, uh, not quite as effective as all the other ones, but um, it, it only needs one jab to work and they reckon they might have a billion of them this year. That's going to help quite a bit. Uh, definitely one one jab would be very, very beneficial. Although just worth noting there, the market was disappointed around the efficacy of uh, Johnson Johnson's vaccine and the shares of J&J actually dropped by 3.6%. So uh, the news around the vaccine on the whole continues to be Positive and the rollout that's occurring both in the UK and Israel shows you that you can roll out the vaccine quite quickly. I think in the UK, about 13% of the entire population has been vaccinated or at least has had their first shot. And in Israel, it's approaching 50%. Um, so it does suggest that once you do get your vaccine out there, it's pretty easy to, to deploy. But um, what does all this mean for Europe, though? Because, I mean, that's the obvious elephant in the room when we talk about uh, vaccines. I mean, Germany's had less than 3% rolled out, France a little over uh, 2%. And then we had uh, all the uh, uh, all the turmoil that we saw between uh, Europe and uh, uh, and the UK, if, with Europe even going as far as saying, well, we're going to invoke uh, Article 16, which would mean there'd be a hard border uh, in Ireland, which is you know the one thing that they were trying to prevent all the way through four years of negotiations over Brexit and then all of a sudden they turn it on because they're trying to stop vaccines uh, making their way over the Irish border into into the UK. I mean, this vaccine nationalism, I think it's died down a bit now, but that just shows... Uh you know how much attention to uh, to vaccine numbers there are there there is, and I guess you know economy is heavily dependent on this. Oh, definitely. In the short term, uh, all those 
news on the vaccines about vaccine nationalism is very, very important. But I think for risk markets, they can still see the other, the, the other side, uh, just given how quickly the rollout has been occurring in a number of countries out there. And as you're noting, uh, just given there's a few more vaccine candidates out there that look like they will be approved by regulators, the total supply of vaccines or effective vaccines should be going up. As it well. should. It's just the speed of delivery, isn't it, really? But look, uh, vaccines or not, uh, Europe, uh, the economy actually surprised on the upside, didn't it, with the data out on Friday? GDP higher than expected for France and Spain and Germany. Well, when we say it was higher than expected for France, we, it was it, it fell less than expected, but, you know, uh, still 1.3% down quarter on quarter. But it could have been worse, I guess. Yes, that's right. And it did help the euro gain a little bit against the US dollar on Friday. Uh, and I guess it just shows you that um, I think economies are starting to adapt a little bit more uh, to having social distancing restrictions and indeed having uh, partial lockdowns in those countries. Uh, whereas back in May and April, uh, came more as a sledgehammer against the economy there. And looking at the wider Eurozone GDP figures on Tuesday, it suggests there might be a little bit of upside risk to the mm. consensus there. So could we see any reaction from the uh, manufacturing PMIs from China over the weekend, which were actually going the other way, actually uh, went backwards a little, still growing, but not as fast as December. Uh, and, you know, could could we see some consequences of that on the Aussie dollar, for example, today, which had a bit of a down day on Friday? Yes, yes, the Aussie did, did fall uh, on uh, Friday. And with the Chinese PMI, it's just worth noting it was a non-manufacturing sector that really missed on the expectations. So that came in at 52.4 against 55.0 expected. And there had been some notion that the Chinese services sector, the Chinese uh, consumer was starting to bounce back uh, towards the end of last year. But it does look like the recent virus outbreaks uh, in the reimposition of some restrictions there has impacted on the non-manufacturing sector a little bit bigger than most people had expected there. Meanwhile, uh, at home, we've got this five-day lockdown now for Perth and southwestern Western Australia after one uh, COVID-19 case uh, and everything's locked, including uh, if you're going from Perth to Queensland, you get a 14-day hotel quarantine. So maybe not a big economic impact, but it shows this thing's still around and how quick uh, state governments are to react. And Scott Morrison today is going to be talking to the National Press Club. Uh, the uh, Most of his speech seems to have been uh, uh, stuck in the AFR today. Uh, he's going to spend $1.9 billion on uh, rolling out vaccines. But then it's pretty much less spending, more you know, less fiscal uh, stimulus, more fiscal discipline, getting the economy to run itself. He said, we're not running a blank check. Uh, so, I mean, does this put the pressure back onto the RBA tomorrow to, you know, if there's going to be less fiscal support, are they going to need to step in and do more? The AFR article was really interesting in the respect of two things. And that was the first was that they're flagging the possibility that this year will be an election year. So I think the way we interpret Scott Morrison's speech is the way that he's going to run his campaign if there were to be an election this year. And um, also it's worth noting that Treasurer Josh Frydenberg on Sunday uh, said that the unemployment rate could go below their 6% hurdle uh, quicker than expected. And just worth uh, remembering that they gave that 6% hurdle, um, being that that was a level that the unemployment rate would have to fall to until they did uh, more budget repair. So if the unemployment rate does dip below 6% uh, sometime this year, then you'd expect the uh, government to undertake a little bit more fiscal consolidation there. Mm, all right. That would also have implications for 
conditions as well. Right, but you think he's saying, basically, if I'm reading between the lines, you're basically saying, he's saying what he thinks he has to say if there's going to be an election. He wants to use the uh, we mm. are fiscally conservative line. Uh, so the uh, the RB, so RBA tomorrow, I mean, tell us about that. What are we expecting? Uh, so, the, so the RBA uh, has three important events this week. So uh, the board meeting on Tuesday, uh, Governor Lowe is speaking on Wednesday, and he's also giving parliamentary testimony on Friday. And then in addition to that, the RBA is releasing their statement of monetary policy on Friday with updated forecasts. Uh, we don't expect there'll be too much at Tuesday's meeting, uh, and we'll probably have to wait until Governor Lowe's speeches to get more thoughts on the RBA's $100 billion QE program, which expires at the end of April, and the three-year YCC target, given that almost a year has passed since it was first announced there. And we'll be also looking quite closely at the statement on monetary policy on Friday, uh, just given the improvement that we've seen in the Australian economy over the second half of last year. And then in the CPI data last week, uh, core CPI did beat the RBA's expectations by uh, two two tenths. And so that does suggest that uh, the CPI profile for the RBA will have to be lifted up. And we'll be looking at the upside scenario and whether the RBA's upside scenario sees inflation back in the band by 2023. Uh, if it does, that could have some pretty big implications for the RBA's three-year YCC target with uh, further implications for yields trading on Friday as well. Right. All right. Now, look, uh, those PMIs from China over the weekend, we get the uh, the Keijing numbers today so we can compare and contrast. Uh, plus, home loans for Australia today and uh, US ISM manufacturing numbers early tomorrow morning as well. But Uh, we won't say any more on those because we've run out of time basically good to talk though Tafas we'll catch you again very soon cheers Uh, thanks Phil and that is uh, Monday morning's morning call from NAB I'm Phil Dobby back again tomorrow morning have a great day